from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. People talk about tit-for-tat expulsions. It's a little, a little, uh, little different than that. There is a, um, a dance, if you will, that's always gone on between the Soviet Russian intelligence services and the United States. There's an understanding, and the Russians make this quite clear, that if some of their people are expelled, they will expel people from the other end. We don't have the kind of intelligence presence, so the Russians just kick out diplomats. Expulsions, the back and forth between the U.S. and Russia, they're calling it tit for tat, suggesting that it's somehow equal. But according to Mark Kelton, a retired CIA National Clandestine Service officer, it's not equal at all. And that has an impact on the United States in in terms of not only intelligence collection, but engagement on Russian issues on the ground inside Russia. And on this program, we'll take a look at that impact. Also, what the U.S. can and is doing to even the playing field. And here, what the Russian Federation thinks about it. I'm sure that time will come. They will understand what a kind of grave mistake uh, they uh, did. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Previously on Target USA, surprising information regarding Russia's espionage efforts inside the U.S. They have somewhere on the order of 175 to 225 something spies in the United States. That was John Cipher, a retired CIA clandestine service officer, who says tit for tat sanctions could hamstring U.S. agents operating in Russia. The United States has a handful, maybe a couple dozen, or you know, in Russia. So when they, when we throw out 50, that means they're going to throw out 50 in ours, and we're going to end up with small right. numbers, and they're going to still have a quite a large number. So is that 200 and some number uh, just a, a hypothetical number you're throwing out, or is that uh, closer to the truth? It's closer to the truth. The U.S. cut significantly into that number on March 26th, and Congressman Dutch Rupersberger, former House Intelligence Committee vice chair and a congressman from Maryland, says that goes a long way to adjusting the situation. The first thing, uh, I think Trump expelled 60 Russians from the U.S. and closed the Russian consulate in Seattle. And that was a response to the Kremlin's attempted assassination of former Russian spies. Um, now, 12 of the Russians that were expelled were also identified as intelligence officers who worked at the United Nations in Manhattan. And I think that's pretty relevant. Uh, the expulsion of Russian diplomats and the shuttering of the consulate in Seattle it marks the harshest sanctions yet imposed on Russia by Trump. And I have to give the president credit. Uh, this sends a clear message that the U.S. and our allies, and it's important to say our allies too, will not stand for Russian aggression. 
and especially actions that put the public at risk, like the use of nerve agents. And the White House National Security Council confirmed to Target USA it was, indeed, Russia's alleged aggressive behavior in the U.K. that triggered the expulsions here in the U.S. But Michael Anton, head spokesman for the White House National Security Council, said it wasn't just that. Well, I think, look, the immediate... um the immediate trigger was the poisoning. It is certainly, however, true that Russia's destabilizing behavior and malign activities have have continued and even arguably intensified over the last year or year and a half. And these activities have got to be confronted, and they need to be confronted ideally with as coordinated and as uh, allied a response as possible to show the Russian government that it's not just any one country, it's, it's really much of the world that stands united in rejecting this behavior. So given what we've learned about the size of the Russian spy force here in the U.S. and their ability to regenerate over time, the key question is how are these expulsions going to impact their operations here? Everybody has the... Uh the tendency to live in the present, right? So we hear about the numbers of diplomats expelled and expelled worldwide in result of the Skripal incident and the prior to that, the election interference. So President Obama, I think it was 35 that were bounced uh, right at the end of President Obama's time, and now 60. And of course, there have been closures of consulates and the like. But Mark Kelton, retired CIA officer who worked in the clandestine service against Russia, reminds We should keep an eye on the past. But these aren't the first time that there have been mass expulsions of uh, Soviet diplomats or Russian diplomats. So in the early 70s, there was a worldwide expulsion of KGB officers, Line-X officers, technical officers. That that resulted from the the sharing by the French with the United States of a file, the farewell dossier, the so-called dossier that talked about Soviets stealing technical uh, intelligence from the United States and its allies. Mid-80s, we kicked out 100 KGB and GRU officers. That uh, was related to the year of the spy. Uh, Ultimately, the compromises that uh, CIA uh, agents that resulted in the arrests of Ames and then later on Hansen. Um, Then uh, after Robert Hansen was uh, detected and arrested as a spy, there were 50 expelled. So that was 2001, which I know that one most directly. So uh, 50 Russian intelligence officers expelled from the United States. So the question then becomes, number one, what impact does that have on Russia? Certainly going to impact intelligence collection in the short term. I mean, you lose people. They lose people. It's going to impact their their ability. Um, Judging from past events, though, over time they will make that up. Uh, They'll replace those people. Uh, either directly or with others uh, who uh, work in other capacities, either undercover as uh, illegals or as journalists or some other thing. Um, The closures of consulates uh, will um, impact their intelligence collection because the consulates are diplomatic premises from which you can mount uh, intelligence operations, communications, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, signals intelligence support, all the rest of that that they provide. Um, and they're dispersed around the country, so that's going to impact them. And then, on Wednesday, April 25th, this happened. For hours, the Russian embassy here in Washington, the new working home for the diplomats kicked out of the Seattle location, live-tweeted with seemingly bitter commentary. 
the exit of Russian officials and the entry of U.S. agents after having to use a drill to break the lock. One particular tweet sums up the mood of the diplomats who are not very happy. It says, quote, all Russian diplomatic personnel left Seattle Tuesday morning and headed to Washington, D.C. The diplomats locked the residence but retained the keys because the Seattle facility is the property of Russia, end quote. But regardless of how unpleasant the sanctions and the expulsions were for the Russians, the U.S. government says they were absolutely necessary. And Dutch Ruppersberger says there is a reason for that. Send a message. I think we, uh, when, when Trump uh, decided to sanction Russia with this large number of people, uh, I think that sends a message. Russia, we're not going to stand it anymore. We, you know, that, that this is a national security issue and enough is enough. But the key question, most pressing of all, is how will this impact Russian behavior? Mark Kelton, again. What is it going to do to curb Russian behavior? Because we're doing this to a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the purpose, the response is to scripal or to interference in the elections. And uh, that's the question that we have to we have to ask. Is it going to alter Putin's behavior? Um, I think probably not, uh, because mm -hmm. he's an intelligence officer, grew up as an intelligence officer. Uh, from the Russian perspective, as I said, this is not new. They've been through this before. It's inconvenient, it's difficult, but Russian intelligence, based upon past experience, will um, respond and find ways to adapt and continue intelligence collection. So uh, the, the question then becomes, what other measures can be brought to bear against Russia to um, alter its behavior uh, mm -hmm. if, if they continue? You talked earlier um, about the illegals that were kicked out in 2010 mm -hmm. uh, and their connections to um, various locations in mm -hmm. the nation. You didn't get into any in specific, but I know that uh, at least two of them mm -hmm. were based in the great Northwest mm -hmm. in the Seattle area. Mm -hmm. And it is also uh, in my mind, comes to mind now that uh, another person who I don't think was a member of this illegals group was uh, deported as well, who was a, an IT professional employed at Microsoft right. in the Seattle area, mm -hmm. young 20-something. Mm -hmm. um, it is interesting to me that the Seattle consulate is closed down now mm -hmm. as, a, as a tactic, uh, one mm -hmm. of the responses to this, mm -hmm. uh, these group of actions, which I'm told by the White House and others, was taken because of one Skripal, but also because of the the election interference and because of cyber activities, basically Russia's aggressive behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. Is there any thought in your mind that um, those people, the illegals that were kicked out in 2010, the, the Seattle connection between then and now? Uh, well, a better question is how strong was that connection? Well, I mean, so if you look at uh, what Russia is trying to accomplish in the United States, of course, they're targeting our government, but they're also targeting industry, right? So the, the Russians, the Chinese, other state actors are uh, constantly trying to steal U.S. trade and industrial secrets. So if you look at, at an, an, an certainly defense uh, industry and technology, so if you look at a platform to do that, I mean, Seattle area is a good platform to do that. Uh, Southern California, very good. San Francisco. San Francisco, very good. Uh, so, you know, so when these when these events come up, that um, the Skripal or the election interference, 
the folks that are sitting on the other side, the U.S. folks, look and say, okay, uh, where are they potentially damaging us the most, and how can we uh, restrict that damage by using these expulsions to kick out people who are going to hurt their collection? Mm-hmm. The illegals, um, of course, the illegals were not just expelled. They were arrested, convicted, or they made, a, they made a confession that they were engaged in intelligence activity and then exchanged. Uh, a little different status than a diplomat. Um, but the, the, the question there is the, the use of an illegal residency. So the, the Russian services, the Soviet services have always worked. That there's, there's a residency, which is the people that sit in official diplomatic facilities. They run under a chain of command there. And there's an illegal residency. Those are the people that operate outside of the, um, uh, the officially acknowledged Russian presence. Usually they take the guise of other citizens. Uh, sometimes they even take American citizenship. Some of the uh, illegals caught in 2010 did that. These are the people that are like the television show, The Americans, mm-hmm. that are out there. Um, generally, they're used as a residency in, in being. And mm-hmm. Putin himself spoke about that in 2010. Because he actually went on, I think it was Larry King's show at that time, and, they, and he answered a question, what are illegals for? And he said they're there in case there's a crisis in relations, so you have a residency. Sleepers. Yeah, yeah. So you can stand it up as a as a um, an intelligence collection organization that can take on some of the duties of the official residency if people are expelled. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a residency in being. So that that would be the, the the best explanation for why they would have illegals. I the, I recall vaguely the fellow that was kicked out, the technologist, but it would in you know I don't have any specific information mm-hmm. on what they were working on, but if you're Seattle, it manifestly a good target. And after a short break, we'll be back to examine the question, how does the Russian spy pipeline inside the U.S. work? After the Cold War, one would have expected the numbers of intelligence officers to decline. That did not happen in the United States. Uh, in fact, it increased. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. On this program, we've been looking at the Russian spy presence in the U.S., how it got that way, and what it's likely to look like down the road. Now, we continue our conversation with retired CIA officer Mark Kelton, who spent a lot of years working in the shadows against Russia. U.S. is a big country, but they allegedly have a lot of people here. Mm-hmm. How does that pipeline work? How do they do that? Well, uh, you know, the um, after the Cold War, one would have expected the numbers of intelligence officers to decline. That did not happen in the United States. Uh, in fact, it increased. Um, so how do they do that? Well, they have officers, of course, that are assigned to work against the American target, people that actually recruit American spies and run them. Uh, They have other officers who um, have a more general portfolio and move around the world and then uh, get assigned to the United States. Um, They uh, train personnel, of course, to come to the United States. If you're a Russian intelligence officer, that's a good assignment. 
right? You, you want to be assigned to the United States. Mm-hmm. In the old days, the Soviets would talk about the United States as the main enemy. Uh, in, in fact, now, of course, we're still the main enemy, although they don't use that language as much as they used to. But uh, as, an, as an operational challenge, as a professional challenge, it's a, it's a good one for them. I mean, you know, they have, they have officers that are, that are very proficient, very professional, uh, and they try to bring some of their best people to the United States, which uh, makes it a challenge for the United States to defend against them. How do they do it? That's where the discrepancy comes in, as far as spying between the U.S. and Russia go. According to sources we've spoken to, including Kelton, the Russian government sends spies to the U.S. disguised as diplomats who work under diplomatic cover. And despite numerous former U.S. spies saying it, we'd be naive to believe that the U.S. doesn't do that as well, because every country with the means to do it will most likely do it. And on March 26th, the day the expulsions were announced, Russia's ambassador to the U.S. here in Washington did not take it well. Today, I was requested to come to State Department where it was announced that 48 diplomats Uh, will be expelled from the territory of the United States. Our Consulate General uh, in Seattle will be uh, closed since the 30th of uh, March, and uh, staff uh, could uh, join two other uh, Russian uh, organizations who are working in the United States, and uh, some of them can uh, return back uh, to Moscow. I uh, mentioned uh, in my statement in State Department that I consider these actions are counterproductive. I said that the United States uh, did a very uh, bad step undercutting a little what we still have in Russian-American relations. These decisions are going against to the telephone conversation between our two presidents. This uh, conversation was constructive, and I, and not only me, but uh, all diplomatic staff considers that it could be converted into uh, constructive actions. I think that it's up to United States to decide what kind of relations they uh, want to have with the Russian Federation. But I'm sure that time will come, they will understand what kind of grave mistake uh, they uh, did. And I hope that uh, maybe in the future our relations will be restored. Uh, It's very important to uh, notify that uh, the United States and the Russian Federation are permanent members of Security Council. We bear special responsibility for international peace and stability. And of course, it's very important for all of us uh, to uh, tackle the main problem that we face today, it's international terrorism. And such uh, relations between great powers just only create an obstacle for uh, solving very important, outstanding issues. Among the big developments as a result of the accusations of the poisoning in the UK and Russia's cyber activity in the US and the sanctions and expulsions is the Russian ambassador claiming that no US legislators will meet with them. I certainly would be awfully uh, reluctant 
uh, given what we already know about communications with the previous Russian ambassador uh, between some members of Congress and members of the Trump administration or incoming Trump administration or the Trump campaign. Jerry Connolly, a Democratic member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Virginia's 11th Congressional District, we caught up with him on April 10th in his office and asked him what his view on meeting with Russia's ambassador would be. Uh, I think you meet with the Russian ambassador at your own peril. Why? Well, because who knows what uh, what he, he brings into a room, uh, who knows how that conversation might be used. Uh, and I think people simply want to protect themselves by, frankly, walling themselves off from that contact. So it's hard for me to feel sorry for the Russian ambassador given previous Russian behavior. And Mark Kelton, the retired CIA National Clandestine Service officer, said when Russians come to the U.S. as diplomats or spies, they're well prepared. So the U.S., when it engages in sanctions and expulsions, has to do it addressing the situation at hand, but thinking towards the future as well. They, they train and prepare their people uh, for a period of time beforehand. They get operational training, they get language training, they get cultural training. Uh, and, some, and then they, they're posted to the United States. And generally, they'll come back to the United States or go to other English-speaking uh, countries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why uh, it's important that the United States, uh, when we take these sorts of actions, we try to do it in coordination with our closest allies. The U.S. faces a risk because of these aggressive expulsion activities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What, what kind of risk do you perceive? Well, number one, um, the people talk about tit for tat expulsions. It's a little, a little, uh, little different than that. There is a um, a dance, if you will, that's always gone on between the Soviet Russian intelligence services and the United States. There's an understanding, and the Russians make this quite clear, that if some of their people are expelled, they will expel people from the other end. So you you see a response from the United States gets a number of diplomats kicked out of uh, Russia. Um, of course, and I say diplomats because we don't have the kind of intelligence presence. So the Russians just kick out diplomats. And that has an impact on the United States in, in terms of not only intelligence collection, but outreach to the Russian, uh, Russian people, uh, engagement, of, um, engagement on Russian issues on the ground inside Russia. Yeah. So the, the goal, of course, the Russian security services on the ground in Russia is to restrict access, to restrict the numbers of people, restrict contract, contact or outreach for, by American diplomats or, or intelligence officers and contact with the Russian people. So. Well, let me ask this question. Um, you said we, and you're speaking about the U.S. government, don't have the same kind of operation in mm-hmm. Russia that they have here yeah. and other yeah. places. But it's my understanding that the U.S. does have a spy operation inside of Russia and other countries as well. Mm-hmm. So, well, it, it, uh, I'm not going to talk about that in any in any detail. But we collect on a lot of people. We collect on countries worldwide. The United States has world interests. So, so it, it's is, obvious that you know when I, when I was talking about we, I think I was talking about intelligence and in that. So you know the uh, the we, um, yes, it does impact so US, U.S. intelligence. But but what I'm saying is is that you can kick out 60 intelligence officers here. You kick out 60 people in Moscow, they're not all going to be intelligence officers. Well, that's my question. Um, You're separating the intelligence piece from the the government piece Mm -hmm. as far as the U.S. goes. Mm -hmm. And for Russians, it's all mixed up together. For Russia, it's all intelligence officers. Gotcha. It's all intelligence. Yeah. Okay, even the government. 
so-called. Well, government. no, the people that are kicked out. Okay. So that, that's <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. I mean, and, and that that goes to just simply the size of the footprint and effort. Mm-hmm. You know, the United States has intelligence uh, interests worldwide, <laughs> intelligence collection worldwide. Russia devotes and continues to devote an appreciable percentage of its collection against the United States, um, mm-hmm. a, you know, and that for a variety of reasons. Um, some of it is traditional military and technical collection uh, is, is a big part of it. Uh, just straight industrial espionage, mm-hmm. uh, in stealing secrets, stealing trade secrets and the like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is traditional espionage, but they, they maintain a, a, uh, a great effort against the United States, as do the other pure countries that are our right. adversaries. The status of the active measures campaign mm-hmm. that Russia's been running against the U.S., you believe it's still underway? Sure. Why not? I mean, it's been fantastically successful. Why would they stop? How have they changed, do you believe, because it's been discovered or at least recognized in public? Well, I mean, uh, so let, let's look at it. You know, the, Putin is a grew up in the KGB, he's director of the FSB, uh, and uh, to my way of looking at it, no, no such operation would have been undertaken without Putin having it a hand in directing it and probably building it. One has to look at the purposes of the operation, which was to denigrate American democracy. Has that been successful? Has it has it undermined Americans' confidence in their democracy? I think that any observer uh, would say, yeah, that's, that's worked. I mean, he's engendered chaos, mm-hmm. recrimination, investigation that goes on now. Um, so I presume that they've adapted their tactics as some things have been exposed uh, and brought to light. But there's no reason why they wouldn't keep putting chum in the water to try to keep the swirl going, mm-hmm. which, uh, uh, and I, I think that that's the question the United States has to consider, is what do we do to stop that? Mm-hmm. You know, will the expulsions, for instance, stop that? And you don't think it will? No. What then would? Well, uh, uh, from my, again, you have to look at Putin. What is Putin telling us by what he says? Putin, Putin is, is not a guy that's indirect really. Uh, he talks about what he's going to do, and he is pretty clear about some of his goals, right? Sometimes starkly clear. But implicitly in what he's saying is he's telling us where his weaknesses are. Why is he attacking the idea of democracy? One has to ask that question and then look at Putin's, Putin's background. Of course, Putin came out of the KGB and at end time, end of the Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union collapsed, it was the idea of democracy and the injection of the idea of democracy and, and receptivity on some parts of the Soviet apparatus and Russian people that created difficulties that led to the end of the Soviet Union in combination with the U.S. defense buildup. And that was, that was by intent. President Reagan, the people around him, did that. Uh, and then in the 90s, a, which is probably the biggest background reason with Putin, is... Um, he would say that the West used democracy as a cudgel to beat the Russian state and used it cynically, uh, the, exploiting the idea of democracy inside of Russia uh, and um, used it uh, to uh, denigrate Russian uh, prestige in the world, to weaken Russia. So uh, Putin is like the czars, is like Stalin, is like the general secretaries of the uh, Soviet Union. What's the first thing they worry about? They're worried about regime stability. Mm-hmm. Putin's worried about staying in power. Mm-hmm. 
and the greatest threat to staying in power is democratic ideals. Mm-hmm. Hence, you see the reaction of the security services to any idea of democracy, criticism of the government, people demonstrating on the streets. Uh, so implicit in that is that's a weakness. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to put pressure on Putin, exploit that weakness. That's Mark Kelton, retired CIA National Clandestine Service officer, on a story that seems to get more and more complicated each day. Coming up in the near future, an in-depth look at how the U.S. is exploiting that weakness. But on our next program, why is it that Kim Jong-un has made an about-face on his nuclear weapons program? Personally, I think Kim Jong-un has made the strategic decision to say that North Korea needs to feed its people, needs to work on an economy that's, that's a failed economy, an economy that is not taking care of its people where there's strong elements of malnourishment. We have to remember that North Korea, going back to the 50s and 60s, was an economic model for East Asia, and now it's an economic basket case. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. J Green at WTOP.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Step into the walk-in with celebrity chef Richard Blaze podcast, Starving for Attention, every Tuesday on Podcast One. He's serving up great interviews with Curtis Stone, Thug Kitchen, Andrew Zimmern, and more. Download Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze at Podcast One and Apple Podcast. Also, remember to rate and review. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.